This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our books and comics show here on the network. I'm your host Matthew Rushing and with me as he is always from, is it the frozen tundra this week Dan? Uh, It's been cold again lately. We kind of got spoiled for a few weeks there and now we're back to the frigid cold Canada we all know and sort of love. (laughs) (laughs) That's the kind Canadian way of saying it's freaking cold. <laughs> Pretty much, yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, man, uh, not a ton of news today, just a few things. And then we've got a great interview with John Jackson Miller coming up about Takedown, which I am beyond excited about. So, uh, But I don't want to give anything away. We did have some fun news from our friends over there at the Trek Collective, and they have released something that boggles the mind and smooths out the reading experience. Definitely, Matthew. Well, as a lot of you probably know, the Trek Collective, in conjunction with uh, another avid reader of the Trek novels, has put together this amazing Trek-lit reading order chart, and it's they call it the Almighty Trek-lit flowchart. And they've just done another big update to bring it up to date with all of the latest Star Trek novels that have uh, come out in the last year or so. It's a great chart. In fact, you know, uh, what I'd love to do is to be able to get it printed on a really big sheet of paper. Oh, yeah. And then, like, you know, put on the wall because it would be so great. And and honestly, um, I did that once at work and I did it on a legal size piece of paper and it wasn't big enough. <laughs> uh, and so I'm I'm thinking this needs to be like a 16 by, you know, 12 or something poster size or something because it is an epic, epic, epic flowchart. Well, back when I taught high school, we had access to a pretty uh, expensive printer that could probably do that. I don't know how kindly they would have looked upon me for using it for that, though. Are you sure you can't sneak in and get us a copy? Well, I I still have a lot of friends working there, so I'll see what I can do. Awesome, awesome. Okay, (laughs) I won't tell anyone. (laughs) But it's it's there. It's on the Trek Collective. I'll definitely put a uh, link in the show notes for you. You know, if you kind of want to understand how these books interconnect, this is fantastic. Uh, Don't let it scare you. It's just a great way to to kind of see how the things in the Treklet, especially from the Deep Space Nine relaunch, 
kind of all interconnect here and the, the way the storylines kind of flow. And it, it's a lot of fun when you look at it. It is an almighty flow chart. Definitely. It looks a little scary at first, like you said, but the best thing to do is just pick a spot, jump in and see where it takes you. Exactly. And and, what, what, and the best part about it too is you, know, you could really just follow the columns that they have. I mean, you like Voyager, just follow the column. Mm-hmm. You know, you like TNG, follow the column. And if you want to branch off, you can. If you don't want to, heck, you don't have to. You know, that's the great thing about it. And, you know, I, I tell anybody these days, you know, trying to get into the Trek books, well, what do you like? And usually, if it's not a series or, or, or something like that specific, you know, okay, what kind of book do you like? You know, you can kind of pick out the ones that of places to start. Do you like, um, you know, it, high adventure books? Okay, well, we got something for you here, you know. So that's the great thing about this. It just helps, I think, uh, put together what you like and then show you how you can branch off. You know, if you start with Voyager and you really like it, but you'd like to see what some other things... Well, this is great because it gives you the opportunity just to be like, oh, well, this kind of connected here. So maybe I'll go read this book over here. And then before you know it, you're reading them all. Definitely. You know, like, oh, I really like this character, Vaughn. I wonder what else he's in. Well, you can look on this chart and find that out. Get his backstory, get what happens to him in the future. Anything like that, it'll show you where to go. And the rest of us Star Trek fans go, (laughs) Exactly. We've got you now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the next bit of news that we have before we hit the feature is that Gary Seven is going to be coming to the John Byrne comics. He had teased Gary Seven coming in the upcoming issues and has decided and confirmed that this is a go-ahead and it's going to happen. And it's going to be in what issue, Dan? Uh, Well, that's going to be in the seventh issue of his uh, new, uh, New Visions series. And this is a really exciting piece of news. We know that he can write Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln quite well because he used them in his Assignment Earth series. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to this one. That'll be exciting. In fact, Chris and I covered the Assignment Earth series. So if you'd like to listen to that episode, you can check that out on Literary Treks episode 34, Your Father is a Very Lucky Man, and that's where we covered those Assignment Earth comics. <laughs> uh, I think people will enjoy that because, it, like you said, it is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, any of Burns' works, um, story-wise, I've absolutely loved, so uh, it's exciting to see him bringing back some of the things that he's done well in the past. Definitely. Uh, I really enjoy his work. At, you know, his Romulan comics are just fantastic. And I, I really don't think that there's been anything that he's done that I've just outright hated or anything like that. You know, oh, definitely not. Uh, even yeah. these, uh, yeah, New Vision comics, if we've talked about, even if it's not the best, it's it's still good. It's still fun, and so I really like his his work. And he really just knows Star Trek. You know, he really knows the characters and what really works. Uh, and again, I I think the pinnacle for me for him has been his Romulan work. Yeah, those are definitely some great stories. Much like you, I I have never really been truly disappointed by anything he's written. Some I've liked more than others, but everything has been at least really good Star Trek. Well, before we jump into the feature, uh, we want to just tell you about our sponsor, Audible.com. Obviously, the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from. And every week they've got new titles coming in. You've got classics, bestsellers, even some of the most famous Star Trek works. Um, Gosh, 
Prime Directive, Federation, so many more. Audible really has something for everyone. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audio book of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm to sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Literary Treks and the network. Well, Dan, I am so excited this week. Uh, last week, we had Una McCormick on, and we got to talk about The Missing. And when I opened up Takedown, because it was the next book for me to read, I realized that the historian's note said that this story takes place concurrently with The Missing, which that hasn't happened a lot, one, in, in Treklet. I mean, there's been a few books where that's happened. But I was so excited that I was just kind of reading them back to back. And the best part is, is we have back-to-back interviews here on Literary Treks. And with us again is John Jackson Miller, the author of Star Trek Takedown. John, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. Awesome. Now, we talked a little bit about uh, when we had you on for Absent Enemies, uh, Mm -hmm. what it was kind of like to get in and, and be writing Star Trek for the first time. Well, here you were following up the series The Fall, and a lot of things had happened there. Uh, what was it like for you just catching up with all the continuity that we have in the Treklik universe to write Takedown? Well, it's a matter of figuring out what the state of play is. Uh, you know, what are the major issues going on in the galaxy at the moment? Uh, you know, certainly you want to figure out uh, who's, who's where, who's on what ship, who has what ranks to the extent that you can. Uh, and uh, and what's going on in the characters' lives, uh, but yeah, also on that on that larger front, the, you know, just sort of what the mood of the uh, you know the, this part of the galaxy has been, uh, you know, what's been going on uh, in other places. Uh, are the characters you know tired of constant conflict? Uh, are they tired of you know, having right. to? Uh, you know, <laughs> Having to deal with political shenanigans and all of that, and of course, you know the the whole idea here is to you know confront the characters with the thing that they want the least, uh, because that's where sort of you know you get uh, conflict and drama from. Um, uh, and you know, I, I think that the fun thing about Takedown is it is simultaneously a an action novel with you know plenty of conflict, and if you want to consider it political conflict, it certainly you know, is that. At the same time that it is a novel of exploration, uh, in in one sense, I mean, it is, it is something where you know we learn a lot about uh, something we didn't know before uh, about the galaxy. So, uh, you know, the I, I think the the fun thing, you know, for me is you know I'm I'm you know getting to write Star Trek and getting to write these characters and and getting to you know, follow up on some of the themes that I was interested in, in, you know, reading the novels and watching the TV shows and the movies, uh, you know, but also being able to sort of fit it into this larger framework that's, uh, that's been coming out uh, from pocketbooks. For you with uh, the, all the novels and kind of figuring out, um, we talked, when we talked to Una about the missing and she had said, you know, Margaret Clark really wanted this to be about exploration and um, kind of moving forward from all of those political realities, uh, what really excited you the most about getting to write your you know first full-length Star Trek book? Well, this is a, a, a sort of story, a kind of story that I had wanted to write for a very long time. Uh, you know, it is 
uh, it's a story which, you know, for readers who aren't familiar with it, it, it pits uh, Picard against Riker in a sort of a, a you know, battle of wits. Uh, we have uh, here these two characters, obviously, play they're the best of friends. Uh, obviously, they are, uh, you know, very much, uh, you, know, you know, we have this master-protege relationship between these two. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, we have a new dynamic in there, which is that uh, Riker is now a, uh, you know, a, an admiral as a result of the events that happened in the fall. Uh, and, you know, certainly it's not a situation where there's any jealousy on Picard's side. Uh, you know, he, the last thing he ever would want to do would be to surrender the, you know, the center seat of uh, Enterprise to anybody else. Uh, you know, he, he's learned, you know, Kirk's lesson there. Uh, but he, you know, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, Riker doesn't feel something odd about it. Uh, and it also, uh, you know, is, is going to be the case where Picard is going to be in some situations where Riker knows stuff that is just above Picard's pay grade. Uh, it's above his, above his level. And I wanted to do a kind of a story uh, that, you know, used that as a springboard uh, for an action piece, uh, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a, a conflict. It takes place, uh, as I've mentioned before, entirely in space. Um, you know, I think, you know, we have some space stations, but we never set foot on a planet. Um, and it is really a, a naval adventure, if you want to call it that. Uh, and, uh, you know, it is, you know, with these characters and these ships that are always on the move, always going someplace, uh, and, you know, I, I'm really thankful for the, the Star Trek Star Charts book. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> you know, I, I didn't I didn't have the uh, I didn't have stellar cartography yet, so I didn't have the big posters on my wall. Uh, but I did, you know, photocopy all the pages and make this gigantic map board for myself because I needed to know where everybody was at any one time in the story. Um, you know, there's there's quite a few stops, uh, you know, quite a lot of. Uh, you know, stamps on the passport in this book. Uh, and I, I worked really hard to make sure that every place was some place that Enterprise or Aventine uh, or Titan could get to uh, in that in that time frame. Um, again, you know, just this fun detail stuff that, you know, hopefully it will hold up, you know, to, you know, to really hardcore scrutiny. Uh, you know, we, we, we will see. Uh, but, you know, we do try to try to try to get this stuff right uh, to the extent that we can. So you're saying you had to do a lot of warp core theory uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and advanced mathematics to try and make sure that you had it all right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, th this is always the challenge when when you're doing this. And of course, I've, I've dealt with this, uh, you know, Mass Effect, Star Wars, other things that I've worked on. Uh, you know, you, you kind of get a sense for what's in the neighborhood with what else. Uh, where are the interesting flashpoints? Uh, and, you know, where a lot of this stuff is, uh, a lot of the events of the story are nested. You know, they're in sort of that, that buffer area that's, you know, partway between, you know, you know, due north on the Klingon Empire, if you want to call it that, uh, and and uh, you know the Romulan neutral zone. You know there's that there's that sort of pinched area in there where there's a lot of worlds and uh, you know a lot of you know every time I find a nebula on this on the uh, on the uh, you know on the map that hasn't been described yet in a in a book, <laughs> that, that makes me happy because that's that's a place where you can <laughs> set some action. 
Well, the the whole Picard versus Riker thing is a really great hook, and it really lends to that uh, that kind of action oriented story. And I was kind of wondering what are some of the inspirations that uh, led you to tell this kind of story. Um, what was kind of what was kind of the genesis of that initial idea? Well, you know, I'm I'm really a, a fan of a lot of you know different kinds of you know, naval fiction. Uh, you know, I, uh, C.S. Forrester, Horatio Hornblower, those novels. So um, good. Yeah, Patrick O'Brien, uh, you know, the the Master and Commander books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these are all things which sort of put me into the right mindset to you know envision what it's like to live on ship and live completely you know, uh, apart from, uh, everybody else. And people are always surprised when they find out that, you know, my favorite, uh, movie probably of the last 10, 15 years you know, isn't a science fiction movie, but it's, it's master and commander, uh, because it actually, really good movie. It, 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 more than any other film, I think it gives you the feeling that you are actually at sea, that you are actually isolated, that you are far from anybody else. And that your world is just what you can hear and what you can see on this vessel. Uh, and, you know, your, your, your worries and your hopes and your expectations are all tied to where you feel you are relative to the ship that you're chasing at sea. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of something that I was, I was looking to you know, capture that feeling. Uh, you know, Picard is trying to figure out what Riker is involved with. Uh, and is trying to predict where his next move will be. Well, you know, that's something that certainly we see, you know, Captain Jack Aubrey doing a lot of uh, in, in, the, uh, you know, in the, the Aubrey Maturin novels, uh, you know, having to you know, read the tea leaves and you know, do a little bit of detective work to figure out, okay, here's where we need to go next because the ocean is very, very big and we don't know exactly, you know, you know, where we're, you know, where our quarry is going to wind up. Uh, and of course here, because, you know, Picard and, and Riker know each other so well, uh, you know, it becomes, uh, you know, they, they have additional clues to, to either read or to, to ignore. That's really funny because I remember shortly after master and commander came out, one of my best friends after having just seen the movie, said to me, that's one of the best Star Trek movies I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, and, and you know, it's, uh, you know, look, what what is, uh, you know, a whole lot of the, you know, the Starfleet part of Star Trek, you know, if not uh, a return to the old, you know, uh, stories of the sea, uh, you know, the old, the old naval uh, stories. Uh, and I certainly... You know, I've drawn on you know, military parallels uh, to you know real life and a lot of other you know things that I've done. I mean, I I you know had a uh, yeah I've I've had a number of uh, occasions where you know I things that you know my grandfather was all involved with when he was in the Navy in World War II have turned up in some other stories that I've done Star Wars stories in particular. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of interesting to, uh, you know, use the, uh, you know, the, the lens of Star Trek and, uh, you know, this, this framework that we've been given, uh, with Starfleet and how it operates, uh, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, tell some of these uh, old fashioned stories like you were talking about, uh, in, in sort of this new format. Well, and it really fit just the the way that you wrote the book. It had that swashbuckling feel to it. It's fast. It it reminded me of the quick pace of a great Earl Flynn movie, you know, on sea. 
uh, something like that where you just really feel you could almost feel the wind in your face if you wouldn't, you know, die in space uh, at that point. <laughs> uh, and if there was wind in space. So well, <laughs> but well, that, I really you. got that feeling. Well, well, what uh, you know, what a lot of my uh, you know, longtime readers might notice, uh, and and you know, nobody else probably would, is uh, you know, the the chapters in this novel are the shortest I've ever written. Um, I made a point to uh, you know start in the middle of the action, get in, get out, uh, and since I had so many pieces on the board, uh, you know, between. Uh, Aventine and uh, Enterprise and the Romulans um, and you know there were occasional other you know groups that were involved here. Uh, you know I wanted to get in, show what they were dealing with, and get back out. Uh, and uh, again, as I say, I think if you were to actually map this book, uh, and now somebody's going to go do it and it's going to screw me up. But if you were able to <laughs> to map this book, yeah, it would look like a serious connect the dots you know thing where you know you've got. Uh, you've got the various ships on the grid at different points and different times, and we're hopping between them. Uh, we also have, you know, as you were talking about with, with this novel taking place simultaneously with The Missing, you know, there are a number of sequences where I've got, you know, the, the two ships in the same place or three ships in the same place. Uh, and so we're hopping around uh, showing what's going on behind the scenes or, or you know, inside Aventine or inside Enterprise uh, relative to the other vessels, uh, because there is some interaction that's going on there. Uh, so, you know, I, every time I was faced with a situation where I could have done something sequentially, if I thought that there was any chance that the ships could be at the same place at the same time, I said, hey, no, let's intercut them. Let's have this event happening at the same time. Uh, you know, there's a particular episode where it's almost uh, Esri fighting with her own ship, uh, that takes place in the middle of a different scene. Uh, that was originally not the case until I actually moved it there and said, you know what, this would be really cool if these things were going on at the same time. It reminded me a lot of, honestly, a 24 episode where, you know, they have the intercutting and you even have the, the splicing of the screen where the different scenes are all playing at the same time, really trying to show you how the action is happening concurrently. And I really, really like that because... In the best possible way, this book kind of reminded me of like a Star Trek 24. Yeah, it, it, it has a thriller vibe to it. Um, and of course, it's also a mystery. And, uh, you know, I, that's one of the things where I, I've mentioned online that I've really appreciated the degree to which people have, have kept the secrets of the book uh, because it, it is something where it is the characters working out a puzzle. Um, and, you know, I, I think... Uh, yeah, every so often you'll hear somebody say, you know, why don't you reveal what's going on in this story a lot earlier? Um, well, you know, if you look back at a lot of the similar mystery episodes uh, of the TV series, uh, including one that this 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 particular book has some relationship to, you don't always find out what's going on until like you know the 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 fourth commercial break. <laughs> You, uh, you know, these, these, you, you, you know, you're in the position with the characters of trying to figure out, you know, why is it that we keep bouncing back and forth, forth in time, or you know, who are these, uh, these, these, you know, mysterious characters that are uh, uh, inhabiting uh, this vessel, or you know, you know, what's what, what are the Romulans up to? What's going on here? You don't find that stuff out until you know, minute forty-five. 
uh, in a in a one hour broadcast. Uh, and that kind of is the same model that uh, that this book took. Well, without giving too much away, obviously, um, I, I felt very much so like you really achieved that the episode that this is kind of uh, taking off from the structure of this book really reminded me of how that episode played out uh, once everything was kind of revealed. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that. That's uh, that's what I've I've tried to do. Uh, you know, I want I want the the, the best thing you can say is that uh, you know, to me is that this book feels like uh, you know the the material that inspired it. Uh, you know, not not that it's completely derivative, but if if you know if you were to say that this was a sequel to this episode or that episode or something like that, or it feels like it could have been a sequel, uh, you know, then I think that that that's delivering what people. Are looking to try to get from from you know, not just Star Trek but all tie-in fiction. You know, we're looking to recapture the feelings that we had when we fell in love with this particular TV series or movie or video game or whatever. Uh, you know, we want to have that feeling that uh, that this belongs. And uh, you know, I I uh, you know I took with uh, you know with absent enemies. Uh, you know, I I started out with a a shorter story, a, a novella to sort of begin fine tuning uh, to get to the point where I felt like I could write a novel. And that's what happened here. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I didn't start with a novel. I started, uh, I, I decided that I would try to try to walk before I ran. With the story taking place with what was happening with the missing and Una McCormick's book, talk about kind of interweaving that into uh, trying to make sure that it made sense with what happened and, and what Una had done. Well, in in this case, it was simply a matter of uh, I think these two books probably linked together uh, in the sense that the characters that she was using were pretty much not on uh, you know my playlist, uh, not on my list of players, and vice versa. Um, you know, I honestly, you know, I, you know, I don't know if everybody is aware of this, but the the historian notes. Uh, tend to get added afterward, um, you know, after the the first draft is in, uh, and you know, at that point, uh, you know, the the publisher knows what books are coming out in what order, uh, and and you know what the specific time frame is that they should happen in relative to each other. You know, I was I was you know vaguely aware of certain things that were going on in other. Uh, people's uh, books, and I was very aware of what was going on with uh, James Swallow's uh, next uh, book because he's got a Titan book coming up, uh, and uh, he and I uh, did a did a phone call where we you know, discussed for about an hour where Riker was going to be heading, and so I needed to make sure that that you know he was aware of what I had going on, and uh, and that. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to do anything that was going to upset uh, anything going on in his story. Uh, I, I try very hard to, uh, you know, leave whatever, you know, franchise I'm working in, uh, you know, leave things to the extent possible uh, intact. Uh, I don't break a lot of furniture if I can help it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, I, you know, everything did end up, yeah, syncing up pretty well and working together pretty well. I would have loved to have been in on that phone call. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's fun. I mean, uh, you know, it, the best thing that you can hear is uh, you know a, a plot line that doesn't cause you to have to uproot anything in the book that you're doing yourself. So, 
you know, it's, uh, you know, if it happens, it happens. It happens a lot uh, in, in, in various franchises. But, you know, I think here, uh, you know, I, I, I dialed in this story to a specific, you know, you said thriller. I mean, it, it has that feeling of a, a, you know, this is, this is two really, really busy weeks, <laughs> except, you know, once it's over, uh, you know, everybody's able to get, you know, back to a different business of what else is going on. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I look to the extent possible myself to try to, uh, you know, do something that, you know, makes the best use and, and, you know, causes as many, you know, moments for us to think about the characters and think about the universe, uh, enough moments of drama out there, uh, that you feel like you've gotten a good, a good story. Um, and, and yet at the same time, you know, I, I am not forcing other people to, you know, totally tear up whatever their plot lines are. You know, I wouldn't do that and they wouldn't let me do that. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the, the phrase I've heard that I really like about uh, when I hear about this book, uh, you know, people who call it a yarn, you know, an old naval yarn. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is this is really kind of where that is. And. Yeah, if I knew more about real ships and the real navy, I, I could have written it in a different uh, time frame with uh, you know with uh, you know real life or something like that. But uh, you know, I'm 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 not Tom Clancy. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not that. I'm not uh, I'm certainly not uh, Patrick O'Brien in the sense that uh, you know I I have that much background. You know, over here I've got I've got my you know you know USS Enterprise owner's workshop manual, and I've got <laughs> the, <laughs> the other resources that 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 I need. Uh, it doesn't stop me from making mistakes, uh, as as some people have noted. I, I write really fast, and uh, just to keep this sort of pacing going. Uh, and you know, as often happens, you know, whenever it's time to come around and proofread these books, uh, you know, it's not always that you're exactly in front of your computer. Uh, with all of your books next to you. Uh, but uh, no, there's a good team of folks and uh, you know, we try to get everything right uh, to the extent that we can. Well, one thing I noticed uh, about this novel is there's kind of a, a, a lighter tone to it, um, even though the stakes in the novel are very high. And I'm kind of reminded of the best of Peter David's novels. Um, oh, yeah. Especially, yeah. yeah. Uh, P- Peter, uh, you know, I, I grew up reading Peter's comic books. Uh, he back when he was writing at Marvel, uh, you know, he started he was working in the sales department at Marvel and they you know, let him pitch for Amazing Spider-Man uh, or actually Spectacular Spider-Man. And he he wrote a few issues of that and, you know, just you know, really uh, you know, captured captured me as a fan. And of course, the, you know, the cool thing was later on. Uh, I was editorial director at the company that does comics buyer's guide. Uh, and Peter was you know, their flagship columnist there for, I think he wrote close to a thousand columns uh, in the, in the weekly magazine. Uh, so it was, it was cool to get to know him uh, later over the years, but you know, that, that absolutely is kind of where I am as a writer. Um, you know, I, I look for uh, humor where I can find it. I look for, uh, moments uh, you know, of levity where the even when something really bad is going on, uh, you know, you try to find you know the black humor if you need to, the gallows humor. You try to find something because uh, you know I think the you know what we love about the the TV shows uh, and uh, about the movies is uh, you know the interplay between the characters um, and 
you know, I think the, 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 the episodes that, you know, I think resonate to us are the ones where, uh, you know, we see the characters not just going through it totally stoic, totally grim, totally robotically, uh, totally in terror and panic the entire time, but able to, you know, you know, find, uh, you know, some, a little bit of humor here or there, uh, to, to be able to lighten the moment every so often. Uh, you know, there are some peculiar situations that, uh, that crop up in some of these adventures. And, uh, you know, certainly in, in this book, there are a number of, you know, very unusual, uh, situations that crop up, uh, you know, role reversals and various other things. And it's only right for the characters to at least think about it, uh, if not necessarily to say something funny about it or, or to break down laughing. Well, I want to just kind of make a, a point here to stop and say to the listeners that we're going to start talking about some things in the book that would be considered spoilers. So we did want to give you a spoiler warning. If you haven't finished the book or if you haven't read the book, this is the point where I would stop listening and make sure that you read it before you get here because, like John said, this is very much a mystery and we don't want to ruin it for you. Um, and uh, if you'd like to hear kind of what John will be doing next, just look in the show notes. You'll see uh, the marker there of, of when you could kind of pick the show back up. But I wanted to be able to kind of dive into some things with John, and, but I didn't want to spoil any enjoyment for you because there's nothing worse than somebody ruining the mystery, uh, whether you're at the movies and somebody yells it out as they're walking out or you read a bad review and they give it all away. So, John, you decided, and I, I really liked this this thing that you did with the book about uh, – the Cytherians and and bringing them in and the fact that they're kind of using this outdated intel that they have and it really leads to all the massive problems that that happen here. Um, what led you to kind of go with the nth degree and 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 that uh, episode? Did, did you already have that planned out beforehand? How did that go for you? I uh, I knew first that I wanted to tell this kind of story where Picard and Riker were at cross purposes. Um, and that, you know, I think in the very beginning, one thought might have been, uh, you know, that, that this was something where he was on a, a secret, uh, you know, mission for Starfleet, uh, that Picard was, uh, you know, was certainly, you know, concerned about, but he just wasn't uh, high enough ranked to, uh, to get involved with. Uh, and then I started to explore a few of the other possibilities that were out there, and, uh, you know, I... I didn't want to do something where, uh, you know, it was it was uh, a, a brand new kind of, you know, possession from another you know, species out there that we hadn't seen before. I looked to see, you know, what was available in terms of uh, something that that would, uh, you know, do what I needed to have happen uh, in the story. Uh, and this is, of course, obviously very early uh, in this process. Uh, and and also, I, I kind of like the notion of having whatever happened be benign. Um, again, because what we were talking about doing was, uh, you know, a whole lot of stuff happens in this little two week period that's going on here. If if that's if that's what it counts out to, uh, and for all of that to happen, and things to still go back more or less to the status quo, 
you know, afterward. Uh, it needed to be something where, well, this is not a, a, a big threatening thing uh, where once everybody you know came to grips with what it was that they were going to freak out and it was going to change the nature of the you know of the milieu for the next five six years, I couldn't have that happen. And when I when I realized uh, you know certainly I had watched the nth degree when it came out uh, you know back in the, the original next gen days when I realized that oh my gosh this 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 species had never been elaborated upon. They had never done anything else with them. Uh, and, of course, you know, we only saw them for a minute, two minutes, big floating heads in the center of the galaxy. You know, I think somebody had come up with the notion that, well, maybe they were related somehow to the Q or, or maybe they were related to, uh, you know, the, the, the being on, uh, you know, the, the planet in Star Trek V because they were in the center of the galaxy or at least that was, that's, that's what the reference was. Um, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, that that that's that would be cool to bring them in and have this thing be just a misunderstanding, more or less, because they don't dig how, you know, first of all, as you say, their intel is old. Uh, but B, uh, they they don't realize that by sort of stirring the pot, uh, all the ants in the anthill are going to go crazy uh, just, you know, they, because that's what they are relative to us. We're the ants in the anthill, and you know, just by poking the anthill with a few sticks, uh, they can cause quite a lot of chaos without even really necessarily meaning to. Uh, and that was the kind of distance that I wanted, uh, you know, the perpetrators to have. And then that led to the next sort of, you know, you know, brainstorm moment here, if you want to call it that, uh, which is Pretorius. Um, you know, we we saw in uh, you know. In uh, in the nth degree, that you know the the Cetherians were able to give uh, you know Barclay uh, you know not just the ability to do things, but also the confidence to be able to do things. And I figured that well, you know, William Riker has no you know match when it comes to confidence. He's already got plenty. Uh, so <laughs> so I knew that he would be. I knew he would be a blast to have 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 this happen to. But I also thought, well, you know what would be a lot of fun would be to have the villain here, have our have our antagonist uh, in Bertorius be sort of the Romulan political equivalent of Barclay at the same time, which is <laughs> which is somebody who has ambitions, but, you know, has two left feet, you know, politically uh, or just really, really bad luck. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, Barkley, as, as it turns out, you know, is, is somebody who learns from that experience and learns from other experiences and, you know, turns out to be very useful and a, and a useful member of the crew. Um, you know, Bertorius was never going to be a useful member of anything. And I wanted to show sort of, you know, that there are people in the world that even if you give them all the power in the world, you know, they're still jerks. They're still just not going to get anywhere. <laughs> And because they shoot themselves in the foot or they lack vision or they're they're just, you know, it, it's you, the Nerla character, the uh, the you know, the woman who is his aide there is sort of the Greek chorus in his life saying, you know what, you're the smartest person in the world and you're still just missing stuff left and right because you don't have any common sense. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I have to say the uh, originally his ending in the book was the ending of the book. Uh, it, it ends on s sort of this, you know, this, uh, you know, th this, uh, this note of, 
you know, he, he gets he gets a little bit of a nice moment after all of the horrible things that are going on. And it, it's a it's a very it's a moment filled with black humor. And uh, yeah, originally it was going to be we were going to end on that beat as opposed to, uh, you know, with Riker. Uh, and then, you know, I, I realized uh, that, it, you know, it, it was better to probably bookend it and come in the same way um, with uh, with uh, with, uh, you know, with Riker uh, and and Margaret uh, Clark, who did a great job with this book. I, I really appreciate the uh, the you know, the input that she had on it, uh, you know, made it uh, made it uh, made it all sort of make sense and, and you know, pointed me in the right direction in terms of. Yeah, you know, here are species like the Kinshia who ought to be involved because you know they're 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 available for this or that, um, and and that that I think really uh, helped me out. Uh, I'll also say that another thing that was just really helpful, um, and again this comes from the the editorial side, is that John Van Sitters at CBS uh, in approving the outline said, you know what. You know, we we've seen all these different, um, you know, episodes of the TV show, original series, regular, you know, the regular original series. And then also we've saw it in uh, Next Generation and various other places where characters end up getting possessed or somebody takes control of them. And somehow everybody is right there back on duty the following week. Right. Um, <laughs> the car is, taken over the, the board back yeah. the next week. Yeah, and well, at least that at least that has some resonance that they play off of later on in some cases. Uh, but you know, other characters. I mean, you know, we I mentioned I mentioned kind of a laundry list at the end. Uh, I was going down the list myself of who hasn't been possessed uh, on these crews. I mean, we you know we had uh, we had you know Beverly with the strange nightmare or you know the strange dream man or whatever it was that was. And, and uh, you know, some of these episodes, it's been a while since I've seen them. But, you know, you had, you, you had the prisoners of Ux Mall, I think it was, that took over Deanna. And I think O'Brien and Data, was that right? I can't remember specifically. But, yeah, I mean, you had all these various different episodes where people were possessed. And, of course, you know, original series, people were getting possessed every 15 minutes. Uh, so, it, <laughs> it's, you know, and, and it struck me that, you know, there had to be – it certainly it, it, it struck John that there had to be something – going on somewhere and wouldn't it be neat to tell the next chapter and right. you know i what what happens to these people and i realized that okay that was a great idea and i wanted to put it in but i couldn't put it in all at the end because if i put it in all at the end then there wouldn't you know it it moves the climax of the book too far early uh right. too, too much early and, and i i said you know what would be great would be uh to yeah, put Riker in some place, and I came up with this notion of sort of this rehab center, uh, you know, the the Mira Romaine uh, Center, uh, you know, named after one of the first you know possession victims from from way way back. Uh, and I, I figured, okay, let's put him in uh, in this location, and let's you know, put a framing story around this thing so that he's seeing the events of the book as the reader is and he doesn't remember anything, but yeah, but you don't quite know that. But I mean, I mean, we, 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 you know, this, this book starts with him looking in the mirror and saying, okay, has that, I I know it's sort of a cliched moment of the guy who just walks up and says, okay, what did I just do last night? Uh, 
That is, <laughs> but it's perfect because he doesn't know who he is and what he's looking at and where he is. Uh, and it struck me that if there was any place that would have access to you know video from what was happening on Aventine, what was happening on all of the Federation locations that he struck, you know, it would be uh, you know the Federation itself, you know, reconstructing everything afterward. Uh, and you know, I wanted to sort of uh, you know tell the story about you know, here is somebody recovering from this incident or seeing if he can recover from this incident. Um, you know, he actually does sort of make a decision to you know stand up and get out of the middle of this situation uh, on his own in the storyline to figure out how he's gonna he's gonna disengage from it. And then that is reflected in real life outside the flashback where he stands up and says, okay, yeah, I'm cool. I'm not in their thrall anymore. I'm not affected. I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, nth degree Riker uh, anymore. Uh, but I, I, I did like the notion also that this kind of put him in the same position where Barkley was at once upon a time. And he would, he would have to kind of deal with that. Well, so what we learn is that we're really glad that Riker doesn't listen to Amy Winehouse. <laughs> that it's okay to go to rehab. Yeah, well, you know, he does put uh, he he does replace uh, you know everybody's uh, audio uh, feeds with uh, with jazz. Uh, you know, that's true. That's true. So he might actually be a fan of Amy Winehouse. <laughs> um, there's a little jazz related in joke in the book, and I'm waiting for somebody to find it. Nobody's found it yet, and I'm not going to say anything. But there's a there's a cute little Ooh. jazz related in joke in the book, and I'll just say that. Um, so but now yeah. we've got to go back and reread. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I yeah I had fun with this. I, I had a lot of fun. It was um, you know I wrote this book back to back with uh, Star Wars: A New Dawn, which was the you know sort of the big the big book that tied in with the Rebel series and relaunched sort of a new era of continuity over in Star Wars. And you know it was a total gear shift and uh, you know a different feeling and. You know, I, it was something where you know I, uh, you know, I've written books where I'll write the I'll write the stuff at the end first or stuff in the middle first, and then you know knit it all together. You know, this one I I, I just parked the bus at the top of the hill and then pushed it down. I was I, <laughs> I I did everything. So if there's a feeling of forward momentum in this thing, uh, that's where it's coming from. It, it really is written, uh, you know, it, it, with that kind of a that kind of a velocity to it. Excellent. Um, one thing that I was thinking of with the Mirror Remains Center and that organization is it really reminds me of something like the Department of Temporal Investigations. It's it's something in the Federation that you know has to exist because of all the history there. And I th- I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was perfect. Well, you know, I like I say, uh, you know, thank uh, thank John and and uh, and you know and Margaret for going along with it. It, it was uh, you know. You know, as a framing sequence, uh, yeah, it was something that I, I it was not part of the original plot line. And uh, certainly, uh, once I figured out that, oh my gosh, there isn't such a thing like this, uh, you know, that that made uh, that made a perfect opportunity. Um, and and so, yeah, it, it is. Uh, and I think as somebody has also noted, um, compare that reaction. Uh, to you know what happens with Pretorius and what is probably going to happen to all of the other um, you know people involved here the Cardassian the Klingon the 
uh, you know, listen, Kathy, everybody else that's out there, I mean, uh, that was involved in this thing, uh, you know, you, you get the notion that, you know, we have the enlightened response in the Federation to this sort of thing when it happens. What was it like uh, getting back to writing Admiral Riker again? You know, you've you got to uh, play with him there in Absent Enemies, and, and this time really full force, you know, um, really getting to take this character and kind of mold him and, and see him, you know, when he's not dealing with all the political ramifications of something like the fall and, and yeah. what it, you know, being an admiral. Just talk about uh, writing his character and, and what you were hoping to kind of accomplish with him with this book. Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I got his voice, uh, you know, down a lot better here uh, because, you know, I, I was approaching this from uh, you know, an action oriented piece, uh, something that was going to be, uh, you know, appearing in, uh, you know, if this were a TV episode, it might be, a, you know, one of the two parters or something like that. And I knew from the start that it would have a different vibe to it, a different feeling to it. Uh, than Absent Enemies was, which, I mean, you know, even if you, you, you look at the, the episode that that's based on uh, or, or is, is, has a springboard from, that was a very light episode that's got, you know, you know some, some you know, comical moments in it. Uh, you know, I knew that this book would be more serious, uh, that he would take a, certainly would take a somber approach as he's pitching this story because uh, he has to have this cover story, this uh, you know, this uh, this takedown, uh, the notion of this takedown virus or or you know macro or whatever it is that's out there, uh, this cover story he comes up with entirely on his own, uh, and he does so because he knows that you know it's going to take him a while to uh, you know get together the materials to start you know to create the interlink chair. That uh, and and we see that as well in the nth degree that it, you know Barclay is wandering around Enterprise in uh, you know under the thrall of the Cetherians but still acting you know like he's independent. He's out there for a good uh, you know half the episode until he reaches the point where he can no longer accomplish his goals without surrendering his mobility and you know linking into Enterprise and and taking control of the ship. You know, I wanted to have Riker pushing to try to get as much stuff done as he possibly could without having to go to that minute where he surrenders because he knows from the past. He knows from Barkley, once he's in this thing, you can't get out again. Uh, you know, you're you're stuck until the Cetherians get you out. Um, and so, you know, he's he's there in the first third of that book. You know, using his authority, using his charm, uh, using uh, his his rapport with these other characters, and I, I think that that was one of the fun things for me with uh, with the Aventine group and with 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 Dax and Bowers and some of these other characters, Leishman. They're all, you know, they all believe in this guy instinctively. They all, you know, they respect who he is. They they know the things he's gone through. You know, I, I went back and found some other episodes where they had, you know, interacted together in some of the other books. You know, they have no reason to doubt anything that William T. Riker says. But I wanted them to be, you know, confronted with enough clues that after a while, they ha- they can't help but think something's wrong. But at the same time, uh, they can't help but feel miserable about it. 
<laughs> because they realize, okay, it's just wrong to be doubting this guy. Should we be doubting this guy? And Ricker probably, you know, he, he probably is able to advance his goals uh, maybe one target more than anybody else did in, you know, the entire, you know, scheme it, with the other, with the other vessels, the way that I figured it is, you know, you, you know, they're, they're pretty much forced to resort to these, you know, drastic measures of seizing control of the ship a lot earlier. Uh, but it, it's the fact that Riker has, you know, banked up this, uh, you know, credibility with the characters uh, that he's able to, to get as far as he does and I also, you know, I made sure that that was, uh, you know, that moment had a response later in the book where, you know, Dax has a moment with, uh, with Riker saying, okay, you know, you, you played on that deliberately. You, uh, you, you used our ship. You used the fact that we trusted you deliberately. And whether or not uh, you're under somebody else's control, it's going to take a while to get past this. Um, it's, it's gonna, you know, there's gonna, there's gonna need to be some repair work done here, uh, you know, with, uh, with the characters involved here, because there is nothing worse than having your ship taken control of if you're the captain. And I especially liked that you used Dax in that role, especially given her recent history of, uh, kind of being on the wrong side of, or, you know, disobeying orders that she felt were unjust and that kind of thing. And it felt like she was kind of overcompensating for that by saying, no, no, we, we trust the Admiral, right? He's got to have a, a purpose for this. Um, so I thought kind of using her in that situation was a really good idea. And I really enjoyed Dax lately in the books. What was it like writing uh, for her and her crew on this kind of new ship that hasn't gotten a lot of stories told specifically about them well i went back and read what i could uh you know about the ship and about the other the other crew members and uh you know certainly uh, i think when we when we initially pitched this book uh you know i i think in the press it was described that it was an aventine novel and, and it is obviously um you know i think somebody is asked why call it an, uh, a next generation novel uh well it's because there aren't aventine novels as a branding uh but also um yeah, very clearly we have parties here from from Enterprise. We have parties involved here from Titan. Uh, it's it's you're really more in the next generation setting, and so that that's why it has that branding. I, I think that uh, you know I was I was particularly uh, wanting to play off of the fact that yeah she had that reputation of uh, you know like the others going off the ranch and doing what she felt was right, doing what she felt was necessary. I knew that she had just recently been imprisoned, and that's why we have that episode where you know it starts off in the brig. That's the first place that we see her, um, you know, visiting the other prisoners and trying to make something out of them, um, you know. And you know, she she we 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 have a you know a fun sort of a a fun sort of a reclamation or make work project in uh you know in the in the kid that's in this book and the the ensign uh, that uh, you know is sort of. I guess if there is a Barclay equivalent in this book, that would be him, except this kid is a lot more, uh, you know, brash and annoying. Um, and, and, you know, that was, that was another thing where I figured that out from reading uh, some of the earlier books uh, that, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had this character who had been an ensign uh, and this is ensign Riordan uh, by, you know, you know, three, four years by this point. And so it's like, okay, well, why is this guy never going anywhere? 
there's got to be a reason for it. And so, uh, so, so we see that and, and, you know, we see some of the other things playing out on, um, you know, on with the Aventine crew. I mean, Leishman is, you know, the person who is constantly saying, okay, uh, what Riker is saying is happening cannot be possible. Uh, right. she, <laughs> she, yeah, and she's, she knows for a fact, uh, and in fact, she's the most dangerous person to his, um, uh, well, I'll take that back. She's the second most dangerous person to his scheme, uh, because she is better able than anybody else to know what really is possible and what really is not possible with the ship. Uh, you know, the first most dangerous person to the scheme uh, is Deanna, and uh, and Riker deals with that right away by getting the heck off a of Titan. Uh, and if there's if there's any wonder why he is off that ship almost immediately, uh, he tells you later in the book, uh, or actually she tells she tells us later in the book. Um, you know, she he, he believed that since she had been around uh, Barkley, that she would sense what was going on. Um, right. You know, she was she was Barclay's counselor during all of that. And uh, and, you know, so the assumption was, OK, that's that's going to be that, uh, you know, he, he's he's got to get away from her, because even if she can't sense you know, the Cetherian presence in his mind, uh, she would be able to figure it out eventually. And uh, that was another trick with this book, which was, uh, you know, I mentioned all of the ships being in different places. I had to control information as well. And the fact that this thing was a cascading failure of the communication systems in the quadrant, uh, you know, I put that to use because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we, we had to make sure that Titan couldn't just immediately get on the phone uh, or on the comm with uh, with uh, with Enterprise and say, oh, yeah, there was this strange meeting on this space station uh, that is at the heart of all of this. You know, we had to get that much later in the book. And uh, and so, you know, it really I love it. You know, like they say, in a team, I love it when a plan comes together. I love it when you know, the parts of a story interlock like this. What was it like just kind of getting the opportunity to really dive into the, the character of, you know, now Captain Dax? You know, she's got her own starship. It's an amazing starship. It's got slipstream drive. I mean, she has really moved up in the world from where she was, you know, at least when we left her. Yeah. On Deep Space Nine, and she's moved a lot in the books. What was it like to kind of get to play with that character? Well, I I, I liked it. I like dealing with sort of this notion that she's this this sort of almost like a role playing game you know, player who you know she's playing a different character every every you know, and and when this character dies, she's going to go to the next one. She's going to try something else. You know, Esri is the role in which uh, you know, and also you know Jadzia to a to an extent. These were the roles in which she was going to try and see how far she could advance in Starfleet as opposed to some of the other things that Dax has done in, in various lives. Uh, and so I, I, you know, I wanted Dax to have, uh, you know, at once, you know, she's the voice of wisdom, despite the fact that, you know, she's, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of physical age of, of, of Esri, you know, uh, obviously she looks younger than Riker, but obviously she's much older than, than Riker or Picard or anybody else in the book. Uh, so you know, I wanted her to have these moments of, of, you know, where she would have the, you know, the, the statements that would come from years of wisdom and, and common sense. And I also wanted her to sort of have that detachment of, you know, yeah, she's working really, really hard to, to make this thing work. 
But if it goes wrong, well, here we go again. <laughs> this, is, this is if this is as far <laughs> as she can go in, fe- in the Federation. This is this is this is it. And and she does sort of begin this book thinking that uh, you know she might be at a you know at a roadblock. She might be at a, at a place where she's not going to advance any further. Uh, and you know the 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 theme of this book, one of them is is reclamation, sort of the. You know, being able to resuscitate one's career after something bad happening because of the acts that you perform. And so and so she she is able to do that uh, the same way that uh, that uh, that Riker is and the same way that Picard did after the whole Borg episode. Um, You know, we don't see her at the end for the purpose that I wanted to have that feeling that she she's back out there. She is uh, she has been returned to the line. She's been returned to exploration you know, she's, uh, she's set free. Well, that's really cool because, you know, with that character, you know, she has progressed just so far in the books and, and now, you know, she really has a really powerful ally on her side, uh, with, you know, Riker. And the, I think he really respects the way that she handled the situation. Um, and in some, yeah, he feels like he owes her something as well. (laughs) I, I think that's true. And, you know, I think the, you know, the other thing here that, um, and this is kind of tricky, but uh, I tried to write this story so that it would it would it would be perfectly understandable whether you had read all of the novels in the last 15, 20 years or whether the last thing you saw was Nemesis, whether the last thing you saw was the last episode of DS9. Um, you know, I, I I tried to do something where. Uh, you know, the characters had enough, you know, familiarity uh, and there were enough callbacks to, to the earlier stuff that, you know, you, you would kind of you would kind of feel like they're familiar. And this is this is this is uh, uh, if, if you were a first time reader, uh, you know, the, you, you get what you need to know, which is that you know, Esri has gone through this thing most recently uh, that she's, you know, we, we, you'll notice that we don't really, you know, I don't, I certainly don't spoil any other novels or I try not to, but I think the events of the fall are maybe covered in three lines <laughs> because I want people to, uh, who are, who I want people who are, who have been reading all the books to see how it interlinks, see how it ties in, see how it develops the themes from those books. But at the same time, I want to give the new reader you know, as, as short of a Cliff Notes version of of what they need to know. Do they even have Cliff Notes anymore? I don't know. I, that that was a that was an old thing once upon a time. Uh, the you know, the short version, so that they can they can you know make the jump and realize. I mean, I, I do have a lot of uh, you know readers that are reading this book that, that have told me they have not read a Star Trek novel in years, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons you bring somebody from the outside in is, is, you know, to see, uh, you know, see if we can, you know, serve the existing readership and also, also grow it some. Uh, I, I think being able to say to folks, okay, look, yeah, this is, these are the characters you remember. They feel the way that they used to uh, in general, although they've had some, you know, personal growth and things that have happened in their lives yeah, uh, Riker's an admiral. That's what you need to know. <laughs> it, that becomes easy to uh, to you know for people to real uh, to uh, you know actualize in their minds and and figure out where to go from there. Well, I think um, I'm I'm very glad that that you've come over 
uh, to Trek and they've given you the opportunity to, to write here because what you were just saying about bringing in uh, you know some new readers, some fresh readers, people who might not have taken a look at a Star Trek book in a while, um, you know, you've done a lot of other work specifically with so many people knowing your Star Wars work. I think that really helps. And uh, if this is the book that that people read, you know, to get them back into Trek books, I think it's going to happen because it, it is so exciting and it's so much fun. I mean, I, you know, uh, like Dan was saying earlier, with the humor and the tone of the book, it's so enjoyable to read and you don't want to put it down. You know, if this is your first time to Trek lit, well, heck, I want to pick up a bunch more of it and hope it's kind of like this because this is, a, you know, just a really a joy to read. Well, uh, mission accomplished then. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks very much. Definitely. It's very true. <laughs> John, what is uh, coming up next for you? Um, you know, are you going to be writing more Trek, more Wars? Uh, what's coming up next and what's out there that people need to be looking for from you? Well, the uh, the world I inhabit is one where you know I can only really talk about what's been announced. Um, and, you know, I certainly, I, I've enjoyed playing in the in the Trek sandbox. Uh, you know, there there are uh, uh, I, anything that I would say that would reveal anything far in the future, we would get the you know, the Department of Temporal Investigations <laughs> in here. We have trouble. Uh, so I, I I can only really talk about what i have uh, what i have that's uh, that's announced that's coming up uh you know the next thing that i people will find on shelves for me the the paperback version of uh star wars a new dawn comes out on the 31st of march uh there follows uh, uh in star wars insider i've done a short story uh that was just announced this week uh called orientation uh, and it is uh, it, it involves uh, Darth Vader and the Emperor, and it ties in uh, with Paul Kemp's new novel that's coming out called Lords of the oh. Sith. That's the book that's coming <laughs> out in, in I think it's in April. Uh, and those are all you know kind of timed for Star Wars celebration in Anaheim, uh, and I will be attending that for uh, for Random House uh, at the at the Star Wars uh, booth there. Uh, you know, I have a, another installment, uh, a short installment uh, in my uh, Overdraft series, which is a series of my own uh, doing, uh, and that is actually a short story that appears in a uh, an anthology called Apollo's Daughters uh, from Silence in the Library Publishing, uh, and I'm in that, Mike Stackpole's in that, uh, I think David Max got a story in it. Um, and, uh, also, uh, it includes, and one of the reasons why this book was, uh, took a while to come out, uh, it, it includes the last story that Aaron Alston, uh, wrote before oh, he passed yes. away. Yes. And, uh, that, that story was finished for this book. Aaron Alston, famous, uh, writer of Star Wars mm-hmm. and other, other tie in fiction. Uh, so that is coming out sometime in the near future here. Um, you know, over at Marvel, uh, they're reprinting all of the the, uh, the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic comics that I did. Uh, I wrote that series for for three and a half, I mean, three and a half, for five and a half years more or less. Uh, and uh, you know, there are lots of mysteries and 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 things like that in there. Uh, that uh, the first volume of that, the the uh, Old Republic Epic Edition, that comes out uh, in June. Uh, and then in August, uh, and this will be, I guess, be of note to uh, to Star Trek fans. I will be uh, at Shore Leave. Uh, that is uh, 
Going to be my All first, right, yeah. my first Star Trek convention since uh, first pure Star Trek convention since uh, I went to see Nichelle Nichols at a Creation Con, uh, I think in '93. It's 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 been it's been it's been a while. Uh, where you know where I live, I'm in the middle middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, and so you know I I I. I drove two hours this past weekend to uh, to Wizard World Madison, uh, where uh, where uh, William Shatner was. Uh, oh, excellent! Yeah, we're 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 a good ways from anywhere. So, uh, as far as a, as far as a proper Trek convention is concerned, this will be my first one of those, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then, yeah, as for beyond that, as I say, number of things just not announced uh, that I've been working on in various uh, various franchises. Uh, and uh, uh, even some comics. I did a I did a comic book for the video game called Smite that's out there uh, for Dark Horse. Number of other things. And uh, the place people can find out about this stuff when it's announced. Uh, my website is farawaypress.com. They can also find me on Twitter at JJM Faraway. That's excellent. And I definitely want to encourage everyone. You know, if you enjoy. Uh, this book, Take Down Your Star Wars Stuff, is fantastic. Knights of the Old Republic, uh, Knight Errant, and uh, Kenobi. I mean, uh, you did, of course, you mentioned A New Dawn, which starts the whole new continuity for, yeah. for the Star Wars literature, which I really, really enjoyed. In fact, that's so far, that's been my favorite book in the new continuity, even though we've only had that and Tarkin officially yeah. come out. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, really I appreciate that. that. And uh, I don't have it online yet, but I will have production notes on my website for both New Dawn and Takedown sometime later in the spring, probably. Uh, awesome. I do a thing where I have an essay on my website. I, I, I only got the Absent Enemies one up, I think, over Christmas. So that, was, <laughs> that was about 10 months later than I intended to do it. But uh, you know, the fact that it gets up there at all, I'm, I'm happy with. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, people can go and, and click the links and find um, other, you know, other, other things and uh, you know, you know, background information. It's sort of like the DVD extras. Uh, it's, it's the, you know, sort of the, the what I was thinking when we came up with this idea or that idea. Well, and it's really thorough. So, you know, if anybody hasn't checked out the absent enemies um, behind the scenes that you did with all the notes you gave, I mean, you do a very good job of being very thorough with what you were thinking or where things come from. So that's a really cool thing. And it is very much like, you know, pop in in the extras, which I love. Yeah. So well, I, I need I to really start doing them here, here. earlier because I forget everything. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what, what you know, where things came from, and sometimes I do go back and revise these things later on after I realize or remember something. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, for example, the the our 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 our, our little jazz trivia bit is is going to probably somebody will figure that out and it will make its way onto that page, but but not until somebody figures it out. Awesome. Well, John, <laughs> challenge thank <you>. accepted. <laughs> yeah, challenge accepted. John, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a blast getting to talk about Takedown with you, and I really do hope that we'll be getting to talk to you again about another Trek book that you've written. You're here. You're here. Uh, sounds good. Thanks very much. Well, Matthew, uh, 
That was a great discussion with John Jackson Miller about his new novel, Takedown. I got to say, with The Missing and Takedown, this year of Treklet is really off to a great start. I completely agree. I think that this has been a lot of fun. We can really see the tone shift in the books as, you know, getting away from that political nature. As Una said last week, you know, they feel like they were able to do um, as much with that as possible right now. And now it's time to really make Star Trek maybe a little bit more Star Trek-y in the sense of of exploration. And um, I really like that. And at the same time, we're not losing these characters or the enjoyment uh, of where they've been and now where they're going. Definitely. Um, His tone and and the writing of the characters were perfect. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see this kind of sea change and this tone shift in Star Trek continue through the rest of the year. Only thing that could have made this better is that Riker had had to prop his leg up to try and get Esri to do something, you know, for him. Really lay on the charm. I think that would have been funny. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has been a blast talking about Takedown today, but it is not the only thing that we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here is a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. I really, really, really hope that if they do that, they make Chang the villain because, you know, Captain Chang instead of General Chang or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? I Mm -hmm. mean, that just seems like the perfect way to go. Earl Grey. All right, Riker, we're promoting you to captain. I mean, you, uh, you killed the last captain. We usually don't reward that. That's usually not a policy, but in this case... Well, well, to be fair, he had spent some time on a Klingon ship. The Orb. But the Federation and Bator as a member of the Federation would be helping rebuild Cardassia. And I could see like very much the relationship between the U.S. and Japan today. I could see the Federation and Cardassia having that kind of relationship moving forward. To the journey! Julie has a very distinct pain noise. Yeah, she you know kind what I'm of talking does. about? It sounds sort of like she's suffocating. Yeah, it sounds like she's suffocating and sometimes, and I'm going to keep it clean, not always in pain. The Ready Room. He is the best cosplayer ever because he's so buried himself in his part that we have no idea who this guy is outside of the impersonation of Tuvok. Exactly. He's the Christian Bale of the Delta Quadrant. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. If I'm not mistaken, in any upcoming episode of Next Generation, we don't see full-grown golden retrievers running around the decks of the Enterprise. And I'm also a little worried that Captain Picard has never played with puppies. Commentary, Trek stars. But you'd rather see Red in charge than him. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Because you really want porn stash to go down. Yes, yes, you do. And that sentence out of context sounds really strange. Literary treks. As great as Picard is and his Picard maneuver, uh, I don't think Picard straightening his shirt is going to help him uh, <laughs> when he's going up against the Riker maneuver. Fair enough, yeah. So. Axonar, the official podcast. The changes that we've made, the change to the nacelles and uh, several other aspects of these ships to make them distinct and, and not the same ships as uh, in, in Star Trek 2009. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. 
You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button and also give us a star rating and a review. Those things really help us rise up in the rankings of podcasts there on iTunes and give us a wider audience. When people search us, it's easier for them to find. Also, it helps us just get promoted on iTunes and help people find us. So we really appreciate that if you do that. And of course, if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help keep all of our shows coming to each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find all the current goals and then the milestone contribution levels we have for you. And of course, you don't have to actually hit one of those uh, milestone levels or the contribution levels. You can put anything in you want, um, any amount, and it all goes to help us bring Trek FM to you. Those Milestone contribution levels, though, let you know where the perks come in. So we have great perks for you, early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on the content development team, and more. We really appreciate your support. We're definitely a listener-run network, and without you guys, we can't make this happen. We love bringing this content to you. So thank you for everything you do for us. And again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at the website at trek.fm slash contact. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, which we'd love to have for the show, just look on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and of course we have the listeners-only discussion group on Facebook called the Babel Conference. Search the Babel Conference in Facebook or... Go to the website at Trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. We'd also like to thank our associate producers. The first is Will Wynn, who's on Twitter, at Will underscore Wynn, and of course on the Babel Conference as well. He's the associate producer for The Orb, Earl Grey, and is Trek.fm's content coordinator. If you have any ideas for future shows, send him an email over at will.win at trek.fm or a tweet. We'd also like to thank Lisa Stevens for her support of the network and being an associate producer here on Literary Treks. You can find her at Twitter at Flip18. And then, of course, Kenneth Tripp for his support of the network and being an associate producer here on our books and comic show Literary Treks as well. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring Literary Treks and all of our shows to each week. And, of course, that sponsor is Audible.com. A great way for you to read all those books that you just don't have time for these days. So pop a book in while you're exercising, going to work, any of those things. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. And we thank Audible for their support of Lettery Treks and the network. Now, Dan, when you're not figuring out ways that you can emulate Riker's charisma and... His leg propping. Where can we find you? <laughs> well, that I mean, that's a tough act to follow, you know. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> well, Matthew, you can find me online. Uh, my website is www.treklet.com, and on there I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. Uh, the reviews of new novels get republished on trekcore.com. 
I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekletreviews and on Twitter at trekletreviews. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference, you know, hit me up, say hi, all that kind of stuff. And Matthew, when you're not trying to wrest control of your starship away from a hyper-intelligent admiral, where can we find you? Oh, God, again? (laughs) Every Tuesday. Of course, Dan, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb, where we talk Deep Space Nine, me and Christopher Jones. We had a great time on that show. Uh, You can also find me doing The 602 Club. We pick a geeky topic each week and talk about something new. So whether it's comics or something like Indiana Jones or or maybe Galaxy Quest or heck, even the Hobbit movies, I just really enjoy getting to do that and, and talk about that with friends around the network and just friends in general. And then, of course, you can find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long, and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.